Well, you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be talking about God's battle plan for standing firm. Last uh, few Sundays that we've been speaking, we've been talking about standing firm and, and what's going to be required about that. And today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the armor of God. And you can see a picture of that on the back of the bulletin that can explain it a little bit more. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. When I was younger, probably mentioned it before, but I was in, in sports and martial arts in school and uh, played football, did a single season of wrestling. I didn't really like that because I had to keep losing weight to make weight because they wouldn't let me wrestle at my comfortable weight. That and the guy there could just clean my clock every time I tried to wrestle him. So um, didn't really like wrestling that much. And but I was really, really, really fast. So that served me really well in football and martial arts. And I never really thought about really distance running. But all this sprinting I was able to do and being really fast on my feet, I was one of the, of the fastest guys in my school, actually, with running. And it served me well until I got in the Army. I got into basic training, and the barracks I was assigned to was located at the bottom of a hill called Tank Hill. Water tower for the base was at the top of this hill. That's why they gave it that name. And Tank Hill had a boulevarded road that went up. And for about, I actually measured it with Google Maps this week. It was 0.85 miles one way up the hill and then 0.85 miles back down. So it was roughly a two-mile run um, up and down the hill. And we did that three or four times for our um, running PT. We did three running three times a week, muscle training uh, three times a week. And so I remember getting marched out to that hill for the first time. And the drill sergeant tells us, well, this is going to be your practice run. This is going to determine which group you guys will be able to run with during basic training. And he goes, we have the road runners. These are the fast runners. These are the guys that are going to pass you two or three times and be able to get done with their run faster. They'll run the same distance, but because they're good runners, they're going to be able to go faster. He goes, then we have our plotters. That's going to be your average runner. You guys are still going to go at a good pace. You're going to go at a pace that is going to enable you to pass your PT test at the end, but you're, you know, you're not going to be running quite as, quite as fast. And then he said, the last group are the slow pokes. These are the people who are going to be basically walking fast because they're running so slow. These are the people who just don't know how to run at all. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I know how to run. I'm going to be with the road runners. So he told us, he goes, if you think you're a good runner, you can start with the road runners. But after today, then we'll assign you where you're going to go. So I got up with the road runners. I'm like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to dust these guys. So I'm just, just sitting there waiting for that whistle to blow. And he blew the whistle and zoom, off I went, left them in the dust. I'm trucking up this hill like nobody's business. I get past that first block, and that's when the hill really kicks in. And I'm still sprinting. I'm feeling good. I'm running, running, running. And it's a long block on this hill. And I'm starting to... The time I get just past that second block, I just dropped onto my knees. I was so winded I couldn't run anymore. Uh, the drill sergeant started yelling at me, and I got up, and I started running a little bit, and I fell back down on my knees, and I threw up. Then I get the shark attack. You know, everybody knows what a shark attack is in the military, where they all surround you and start screaming just various things at you. 
A lot of it's just gibberish. It's just meant to mess with you. But yeah, I got shark attacked. I'm worthless and, and blah, blah, blah. I thought I was going to show off. You know, I'm not being part of the team. All this kind of stuff. And they're, they're yelling at me. And, he, and he, they do the ultimate insult to me. Get your bleepity bleep butt back with the slow pulse. Man, that was a, a real, real smack to my pride. But we went to the slow pokes. The drill sergeant who was there, he was a bigger, muscular guy. He said, you guys have been put with the slow pokes. You guys think you're worthless. They probably told you you're worthless. I'm a slow poke runner myself. I am not good with running distance because no one ever taught me how to run. He goes, I will teach you how to run distance. And before you know it, I started learning how to run distance. I started being able to go up and down the hill and not get out of breath. I eventually moved up to the plotters. And right and a week and a half before basic training graduated, I got to run with the roadrunners once because I learned how to run. And I loved to run even after I got out of the military. Believe it or not, I used to run all the time. And what I found is that I was ready for the sprint. But the reality is, I had to train for long distance. I had to learn how to run distance. The Christian's life is very similar to this concept. Sometimes we come in on Sunday mornings and we want to get just enough of God to get through to the next Sunday. We want to have just enough spirituality, just enough feeling good about everything to get us to that next Sunday. And, and so we get into this sprinting mentality. If I can just get here on Sunday and get enough of God to make me till next Sunday, I'll be okay. The problem is, is that God wants us to live with a marathon mentality, with a long distance mentality. Because guess what? Tomorrow morning is Monday morning. We'll all go back to work. We'll all get challenged in our faith again. And the world is for sure going to smack us upside the head tomorrow morning and try to steal any amount of godliness that we picked up here this morning. So today's message is going to be a very practical way to face life. And it's going to be found in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at this section of Scripture that deals with the armor of God and use it to help us not only see how the parts of the armor work, but how we're to use them to be able to withstand the continuous onslaught of our enemy that's really only going to get worse in these coming days. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 6, and then I'll break it down. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. And Father God, I just ask, Lord, that You take these words, help it to touch us, change us, refocus us, and prepare us, Lord, to live as soldiers for You in this world. Help us to be able to understand and appreciate and don the armor of God with a faith that we've never had before. Lord God, I ask this in Your name. Amen. Since we're talking about armor, I'm going to stay with the military as my central source of examples today. If you go into a leadership school in the military, whether it's BNOC, the Basic Non-Commissioned Officers Course, or um, PLDC, uh, Primary Leadership Development Course is what they called it when I was in, you learn something about how to develop operation plans. Op plans are a structure that you use to plan missions. You identify the mission, the mission objectives, what the opposing force is, um, as far as their ability, their weapons or fortifications, and then you decide what's required for you as far as what equipment to bring, how many people to bring, what kinds of people to bring, what kinds of machinery, all that stuff to complete the mission. So that's how I'm going to approach this scripture. Paul is using military terms to describe spiritual truth to us. And so we're going to break this down into smaller chunks to define God's operation plan for us as soldiers of Jesus Christ who should be wearing the armor He's provided for us. So the first thing we do is we identify our mission. And we see that in the opening verses where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. So what's our mission here? You can see it in the repeated words. Our mission is to stand. Now, if you're like me, you want to be a little bit more active in this. I'm kind of a, a, a little bit more, I want to fight. You know, I want to do something. I mean, I want to bellow out, this is Sparta, and, and run out into battle. Because standing kind of seems boring. Standing just seems like you're not accomplishing anything. That is until you understand the warfare and the way it was waged at the time that this was written. The Roman army actually took a lot of lessons from the way the Greek Spartans did their battle. The first several lines of their troops did nothing but carry very short swords but very large shields. Big, huge, rectangular shields. And they would march into battle in formation. And oftentimes when they marched into battle, the enemy would start with catapults or they would start with arrows and the Roman army would then go into what's called a turtle, which would they lock shields, 
the rear um, people came up and put their shields over the top of everybody. So all the arrows came and just hit the shields, and none of them were injured. The enemies would then become frustrated and charge them, especially the Germanic tribes. They would come and charge and, and just beat against this wall of shields, trying to break through and break into their ranks, and they would exhaust themselves. It was then that the Roman cavalry came from a flank and just ran them down. One of the hard things for us to do as Christians is to understand His order to stand. And the thing we have to realize is we stand to see the salvation of our Lord because the battle is His. He is the one who is going to do the fighting. How many times in the Old Testament did God tell His people to simply go out? Bring your weapons, bring your shields, bring all that with you but just simply stand and see the salvation of your Lord. That is what He is calling us to do in this day. How many times did God tell them to go out when there was an enemy force just bent on their annihilation? Outnumbered ten to one, and yet they all turned on each other in the middle of the night and killed each other. God Himself defeats our enemies. We are just there to witness His victory. And this is how we should approach our battle with the forces of darkness. Our job is to stand for the truth. Our job is to stand for Jesus Christ and the truth of His Gospel. It's to bear witness to the victory Jesus has already won for us. To share that truth with others so that we can grab them out of the darkness and bring them into the glorious light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. With that said, let's look at the enemy. So who is our enemy? And what is their capabilities and tactics? Verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to understand we don't get a visible enemy. Our enemy is not other people. In fact, I would say one of the greatest stains of the history of the Christian church was an era called the Crusades. It covers the years 1094 through 1291 A.D. During this time, the church that was in power had certain categories of sin. You had venial sins, which were minor things, white lies, different things like that. And then you had mortal sins, which are sins that were so bad you were instantly damned with no chance for forgiveness. However, the church put a little clause in there who said if you take up crusade, you can win salvation for yourself or for one of your loved ones who may have committed a mortal sin. And the church did that to raise an army because Islam was starting to gain power. They were starting to run over the Holy Lands. They took Jerusalem away from the Christians and the settlers in that area. So the church in Rome decided to rise up, raise up an army and go and take it back. They decided to use physical power against spiritual enemies. And the Crusades were really the lowest point of history during a time that was already called the Dark Ages. 
It was when the church used secular military might to put a sword to a Muslim's neck and said, convert or die. And that's the tragic part about that. The church of that time used Satan's tactics to go to war against Satan. As they used to say, shall we do evil so good may result? Paul says, may it never be. So what are our enemy's weapons? It says in verse 16, flaming arrows. These flaming arrows have three names, fear, doubt, and unbelief. It's the same three arrows that Satan shot at Adam and Eve. It's the same arrows that he shot at the disciples or believers in Paul's day. And fear, doubt, and unbelief are the same tactics he uses today. Satan has not changed one bit. It's been the same exact attack strategy throughout history because it works. It just changes slightly. But it's always rooted with fear, doubt, and unbelief. You know, we don't have a physical war to fight. You know, a physical war, is as brutal as physical war is, and I don't want to go to physical war, so please don't mistake what I'm saying here. We have a spiritual war. The world is trying to focus us on physical opponents. Everyone today, we talk about China, Russia, the rise of socialists in America, and they hold them up as your enemy. And to be sure, they're all threats of this country. No doubt, they're threats of this country. But to the Christian, we need to open up our spiritual eyes and see the powers and the principalities behind all of this. We have just such an unforgiving onslaught of attack right now coming against us at all times. Anybody get just get tired? You just feel exhausted sometimes and you just you turn on the news for information and it just exhausts you. We're in this war and it's it's like we're getting battle fatigue right now. We're in a war with no rules, no Geneva Convention of fairness and no prisoners taken. That's why the enemy keeps wanting us to focus on the physical manifestation instead of seeing the spiritual forces behind us because he knows if he can keep us focused on the physical enemy, God's armor is useless to us. And that's one of the big takeaways from this Scripture. You can't expect armor to work if you don't use it the way it was designed to work. So let's look at our armor. We used to call it our kit in the military. It was the the standard things we would carry into battle. So what do we need to accomplish the mission? Well, Paul tells us in verse 14 when he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, before we get into the specific parts of the armor, I want to remind you, Paul is looking right now when he's dictating this or writing this himself, he's chained to a Roman foot soldier. He is literally looking at these different 
physical armaments and spiritualizing them for us to understand how we um, go into spiritual battle. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our kit for this battle and how it's supposed to be used. First thing we'll look at is the belt of truth. Now all of us have seen Romans in, in movies and, and Roman soldiers. We've seen it, if you watch The Chosen, you get to see Roman soldiers in that. Romans went to war wearing tunics. Tunic is essentially a dress for a man. It had a hole in it, had arm sleeves in it, and it flowed down, ended just above their knee. Now, the last thing you want in battle is something, A, making noise when you're trying to creep around, and B, catching on things. So think of a long flowing dress when you're walking through bramble or you're walking through forest or anything else that's going to catch on anything. So that is what the belt uh, purpose would serve is it would pull everything in. It held the breastplate in, you could hang your sword from it, and it tucked that tunic in. Do you know the phrase tying up loose ends? This is where it came from. The Roman soldiers tying up all that garment and making sure that it wasn't getting caught on things. In the Christian's world, the belt represents how truth is to hold together the rest of the armor. Everything Everything in our lives is dependent upon what is true. After all, if we had a belt of error, wouldn't that nullify the rest of the armor? You can't hold righteousness in place with, with error. You can't wield a sword of the Spirit if it's, if it's full of error. Your belt of ar- a belt of error couldn't hold the spiritual clothing that Jesus gives to us when we're born again. This is why the truth is so important to the Christian and why truth of the gospel has to be the ground that we stand on. In fact, our footwear is given to us in our spiritual warfare kit. It's only designed to hold traction if we're standing in truth. Everything depends on us having the truth of God in our lives. Let's look at the breastplate of righteousness. I think this is the one that most people get a little confused. And it centers around that word righteousness. Now that word righteousness means right action, to do things that God wants us to do. And that is very true. We are to live holy lives before Him. We are to do our best to emulate the character of Jesus Christ in this world. You'll never hear me say we're not supposed to do that. However, Our righteousness before God is not dependent upon our behavior. It's completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. I mean, even the best of us on our best day cannot come anywhere near to measuring up to God's perfection, can we? That's why this word has to be understood and used in relationship with another word. And that word is justification. When you see either one of these words, they have to be understood not as a standalone word, but in relation to relationship. It has to be tied intimately to Jesus Christ. 
A simplification of the word justification is just as if I had never sinned. It means you are totally and completely innocent of all sin. This breastplate protects our vital organs and especially our heart. And that breastplate is really the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we are living in the will of God, everything that comes into our heart should have to pass through Jesus first. Any shot of the enemy, any fear, doubt, unbelief should vaporize as soon as it hits Christ on the way in. And it should also be noted that the breastplate only covers the front part of the soldier. That means you are to stand facing the enemy, not running away in fear and retreat, because there is no protection there. The footwear. One of the most overlooked areas of preparing for a mission is what kind of footwear do you need? Now, in my time in the military, we had probably a dozen different kind of boots that we could choose for a mission. We had boots for paratroopers. We had jungle boots for hot and wet climates. We had winter boots for cold weather. We had just normal issue boots for woodland. You wouldn't use jungle boots if your mission involves snow and ice. Because if you try to walk across snow and ice with jungle boots on, you're going to end up on your backside because they're not going to give you any traction. You can't stand and fight. The same is true of a Christian and the footwear that God gives us for our battle. It only has traction and the ability to stand on one surface. And that is the Gospel. That is Jesus Christ. We can only stand for Him. Unfortunately, many in the church and whole churches themselves have tried to stand on, se on secular politics, supporting the right candidates. I think that's important, but that's not where we put our hope. We, say we, we, put, we put too much, um, too much attention on the politics and then are surprised when we land flat on our face because the footwear we are wearing is not designed for the devil's turf. It's only designed for heavens and standing for Jesus Christ. We can't expect to stand on every, anything other than Christ Jesus crucified for our sins. That's why God has limited our ability and our footwear to only work when we're standing for the Gospel. Let's look at the shield. In Roman times, right before they went into battle, these Roman soldiers that were in the front carrying these huge shields, they were metal with leather in between them. They would take that shield and soak it before they went into battle. And it would be waterlogged. So as soon as the flaming arrows came, it would go right into that soaking um, leather and go out right away. As part of the Christian's armor, this shield represents the faith that we expressed when we came to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.26 talks about how Jesus washes us through the cleansing of His Word. And there are several Greek terms that are translated into English as Word. In this case, the Greek term rhema is the spoken word, and not the Greek term logos, which is the written word. That means that for us, our shield is the spoken Word of God in prayer that develops our faith and strengthens our relationship with God. 
What that does for us is that we stand in faith. It means that the devil's flaming arrows of fear, doubt, and unbelief hit that spoken word of faith in Jesus Christ, especially in our prayer lives, and immediately extinguish. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is closely linked with the rest of the armor. It protects our, our minds from Satan's lies. It keeps our thoughts and attitudes reflective of our Savior and helps us to know His mind and His will for us. You notice within the text, even in the English language, but especially in the Greek, the helmet and the sword are spoken of in the same sentence and they're linked together. The helmet protecting and projecting God's truth and word into our minds while the sword defends us. So let's look at that, that last part. The sword of the Spirit. I've heard a lot of, of sermons about this particular Scripture. And a lot of preachers will say this is the only offensive weapon in our arsenal. I don't know if I agree totally with that. See, the Bible plainly teaches us that this sword is the Word of God. And the key point, again, is it's not the Greek word logos. It's not the written word that's in your Bible, but the rhema, the prophetic spoken word of God. You remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil. He spoke the Word of God. He didn't open a scroll and point. He spoke the Word of God. There's something incredibly powerful about Scripture being spoken out loud. And these last two parts of the armor are purposely and very intrinsically connected with verse 18, which exactly explains how they are to be used in spiritual warfare. And really, this is the most important truth about the armor of God. Because it tells us exactly how to use it and what it's for and how we're to fight. And this is the battlefield we face. When he says to verse 18, to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The armor of God is really meant to protect what is most important for our survival as Christians. And that is, it is protect our spirits so that we can pray. It's to help us protect our prayer life with God. Not only just the prayers we utter with knowledge. Not only just reading aloud Scripture in our homes. But as verse 18 says, praying in the Spirit. Paul describes praying in the Spirit as, as groans, as, as, as speaking in tongues, as, as just pouring out your heart to God, allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you in your prayer life. They're effective. The most effective fighting tool we have is prayer. It's going to battle the enemy's influence not only in our own lives, 
but in the lives of others that desperately need to hear the saving news of Jesus Christ. Amen?